As we get started this morning, I have to be practical because if I'm not practical at the outset, I'm going to kind of miss what this is, what what kind of the minor theme of all of this is about. So, in your service folders, in your bulletin, you you should have seen a packet that looks something like this. If you didn't receive one, I know this is embarrassing, but and it's not. It shouldn't be embarrassing. There's no guilt or shame here. Raise your hand, and one of the ushers will make sure that you get one because I want you to know what's here on the one side of this packet. And you'll see this right away. And I'm not going to go through it because you're adults and you can read. Um, there's, there's a fact sheet. On the top is a little bit of information about who we are as a church. Below that is some information about our congregational budget. And below that are the, are the goals and the goals for the Rally the Family campaign and where that money, where the intention for that money is. So we just, that's information. On the other side is, is a worksheet. And in part, we're going to walk through this worksheet today, and that's going to be good. But here's my challenge to you is, there's so much on this worksheet, I could spend two hours on it. So the challenge is, what'll be good is to listen to the sermon and take some notes in your mind and heart. What'll be better is if you take it home and kind of work through the worksheet. What'll be better than that, perhaps, is if you sit down with the spouse, if you have one, and work it through with them. And parents, here's an extra challenge. Talk about this with your kids. Um, one of the things we don't always do a great job in our families is talk about money and how we're going to use it and, and how we're going to give it to the Lord in our, in our offerings. So, so take a moment throughout these next couple of weeks to just to use this as you, this is, I'm not going to collect this. This is not an assignment where I'm going to ask for it back. This is for you as a way for you to, to sharpen your thinking and to direct your heart to the God who gives so much to us. So that's, that's what this is. In addition to that, you'll find right in the middle of that an envelope and a campaign card. The intention for this is that after you've worked through the worksheet, that you'll take a moment to, as an individual or family and fill this out. And then on February 11th, you're going to be, so do this at home. Put it in the envelope, seal it up, and throw your name on it. This is between you and Jesus, okay? There, 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 no one else is going to look at this. And what we'll invite you to do on February 11th is, as a, as a ritual, as an act of worship, we're going to invite you to lay your commitments on the altar as a way to say, Lord, this is what I want to do for you. Please help me. And then those commitments are going to lay there all year, un sorry, sealed, not unsealed, sealed and unopened. So it's just between you and Jesus at the, be at the beginning of 2025, we'll return these to you so you can say, okay, Lord, thank you for what I could do. Let, we can do a little bit of thinking about it. I, I want to be clear though, this is all like, this is all like nuts and bolts, okay? And, and, I, and I think the nuts and bolts have great purpose, but, but what I hope we can do today is really what I've been saying from the beginning. We're not just trying to get, this Rally the Family campaign is not just about using you to get stuff done. Like this is not a campaign. It is on a minor level saying we need money, but on a higher level, this is about you growing up as a Christian. This is about your walk. Let us ever walk with Jesus, follow his example pure. This is about you growing up, maturing your faith as you walk with him. And so I'm going to start with the end of the notes first. I want to tell you where we're going, and then I want to spend the rest of our talk proving it to you. So here's the, here's the main idea. It's at the very bottom of the sheet. Here's my claim. Here's my thesis, the whole thesis sermon. The spiritual practice of giving... So the discipline of giving offerings centers my life, makes my life orbit around 
the God who gives. In other words, the, the practice of giving is not as much about me giving to God as it is about God helping me to make my, help my life orbit around Him who has given so much to me. So the spiritual practice of generous giving centers my life around the God who gives. That's my claim, and, I, and we're going to spend some time in Nehemiah. We'll, we'll do a little bit of catechism talking about giving, and, and then hopefully I've, by the end I'll have proven that what, that's, what I said is true. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I'll be with us today. Let the words of my mouth be focused and true and helpful and encouraging. Uh, let the meditation of our hearts be reflective on, on your grace to us, on your kindness and mercy to us, and on our privilege uh, of participating in the, the act of giving. Um, help us to see what a gift giving, what a gift giving back to you is. As we consider our offerings today, uh, light our hearts on fire by your Holy Spirit, so, and in such a way sanctify us and make us holy, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now we're back to the top. So Martin Luther said, he said this about conversion. He said, people go through three conversions, the, the head, the, or the head, the heart, and the pocketbook. And he said, they usually don't, it's not all simultaneous. And what he meant by that is, as when we're born into this world, we're born dead in sin. And as sinners, our, our mind, our thinking, our reason is confused and conflicted. It, it's, Paul said it this way, we're hostile to God in our thinking, our reason, right? And, and if it were up to us to think and choose God, our, our, our brains just wouldn't do it. So our, our, our mind, our thinking, our reason has to be converted by the Holy Spirit. And so do our desires, our heart, the seat of our emotions. That, that has to be converted too. So that instead of desiring the things of the world and wanting the things, that, being passionate about these things that, are, that God says are sinful and wrong, we're, he, our hearts need to be changed, converted, so that we're passionate about the things of God. And I suppose and I expect that most of you are probably with me so far. Like, yeah, my brain has to think differently because, because by naturally I think this way, but the Spirit has to teach me otherwise. And my, my passions have to be changed too. But the pocketbook, why would he say that? Well, why would he say, actually, Charles Wesley said the pocketbook's the last one to be converted. Why, why would they say something like that? We, we often think about money as a tool, and it is. We, we think about money as something that we use, and we do. But one of the things that often happens with money is that instead of us using us, it, instead of us using it, it uses us. Instead of us controlling our money, money begins to control us and, and, and lead us into all kinds of things. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. If money is not our servant, then it becomes our Lord, and if it's our Lord, then it leads us to all kinds of other things. And when we look at Nehemiah chapter 5, and I'll encourage you to grab your Bibles because this is not printed out for you. In Nehemiah chapter 5, we see both the way, what happens when money uses you, and we also see what happens when you use money. See, in the first half of Nehemiah chapter 5, we have, a, we, we have the example, we see the people of Israel, 
And let me just be really clear, things for the people of Israel in Nehemiah 5 were not good. They were living paycheck to paycheck. There were famines. A lot of them were going broke. And and what happened was just to survive, as we all do, as many of us do, they mortgaged houses and fields and vineyards, right? They mortgaged these things out just to, to get by. And, and some of them took out loans. They took out loans to, to pay their bills and to pay their taxes. And, and it got so extreme for some of them that they sold their sons and daughters into slavery. It, it was almost like in, in desperate times, they di- took desperate measures and, and they went to the payday loan place. And, and you know, if you've ever been to a payday loan place, they will take you. They will loan you money, but for an exorbitant rate, right? And that's what was happening. The, the people of Israel were going to the payday loan place to try to make it through, and this is what Nehemiah found out about it, and this is what he said, Nehemiah 5, 6, and 7. He said, when I heard their outcry on these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called them together, called together a large meeting to deal with to deal with them. Did you catch who the lender was? Did you catch who was using and abusing by taking advantage of their poor situation? It was their own family. It was the, the fellow Israelites who were, who were supposedly part of the same church, part of the same clan. They were the same group of people. They were supposed to be on the same team, but they're, they're buying and selling each other. They're taking advantage of each other. See, the love of money led them to abusive behavior. And Nehemiah was not about to let that happen. Look what Nehemiah said next. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the repro- re- reproach of our Gentile enemies? See, what had happened was Instead of living with God as their Lord, living under Him in His kingdom, fearing God above all things, loving and trusting in Him, fear, love, and trust, we say in the commandments. Instead of living under God, they were living under something else. Maybe it was fear of people. Maybe it was they loved their money more than other things. But whatever it was, they were not fearing God. Shouldn't you walk that way, Nehemiah said? See, when when money and the love of it and its rulership over us is at the center of our lives, it leads us to all kinds of sinful things. But but I want you to compare the people of Israel to Nehemiah's behavior. Because one of the things we have in the book of Nehemiah is kind of like his memoir of, here's what it was like, here's how I lived it out. Nehemiah, this is, I'll just read you the entire thing. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. See, see what had happened is the governor, Nehemiah was the governor now, had the right to tax the people to provide for his needs. And the other governors, the governors before Nehemiah didn't do that, but did do that and laid a, he said, heavy burden. And Nehemiah said, no, I'm not going to do that. Look what he did. Their, Their assistance lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God. See, there it is. The people of Israel were were not living in the fear of God. Nehemiah, it's the same word here, just a different translation. Out of fear for God, 
Nehemiah's Lord was God. Fear, love, and trust. I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. So Nehemiah, out of his own treasury, out of his own bank accounts, is generously providing for his court. He didn't ask for taxes. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor. I could have. He had the right. But instead, he didn't take his pay because the demands were heavy on these people. So the question that this whole, that that I'm hoping all of this centers around is, how how do you relate to to this? The the people of Israel were living in a selfish, self-centered way. The money was their Lord. Nehemiah was living in a selfless way. The Lord was his God. And he lived generously. They lived abusively. How do we, I I don't know about you, but I listen to this account and I want to be like Nehemiah. I want to live a life of generosity. I want to live a life of kindness and mercy. And yet there are things, as we walk through this today, there are things that get in the way. There are, there are hurdles. And now we're going to work through this worksheet just a little bit. We're not going to walk through every question, just the big ones. One of the things, one of the things that gets in our way is this, the question, whose is it anyway? Adults, I want you to do this with, with kids maybe after the service or maybe even during the offering. Ask them this. If, if they have a, an allowance or they earn money, ask them, whose money is it? Or, or, or if I, in a, in a moment, and you were in a safe place and you wouldn't feel judged by me, and I said, whose money, who's, and we looked at your bank balance, and, you, and I said, whose money is it? Or we looked at your investments, and I said, whose money is it? I would imagine the, the gut reaction, the first reaction, the first answer to that question, well, it's It's mine. I sweated for it, I toiled for it, I invested it, I, all this sweat equity that I put into this house or, or, or this, this investment or this planning, all of this, it's, I did the work, it's, it's mine. I mean, that's the toddler's rules of engagement. If I have it, it's mine. Right? It's kind of our natural approach to us that if, it, if it's in my possession in any way, it belongs to me. And that's kind of our natural response to, to offerings. Like when we talk about offerings in church, you're like, but it's mine. You can't tell me what to do with it. Well, I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do with it, but I think we need to come to grips with this. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. One of the, the annoying questions that I've been asking people lately is, you can't just say everything. What is everything? Well, it's this. It's my clothes. It's my car. It's, it's my house. It's my income. It's my investments. All of them. When you, when you think about your budget, how much of that belongs to God? Not just the offering. All of it. Everything that you have is, is yours, and, it, and it's a gift from Him, and it gives it to you because He loves you. Every good and perfect gift, James says. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down to you from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God did not spare his own son for you, but, but gave him up for us all. Paul says, how will he not, he asked the question then, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so here's, here's my argument. When we give offerings, and that's just a portion of our income, right? When we participate in the spiritual act of giving, it's a practice that reminds us that what I have, all of what I have, belongs to God. Remember that hymn we used to sing more often, pray more often? We give thee but thine own. Now, if you know it, say it with me. We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be, all that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. See, when we bring our offerings, we're, we're, we're saying to the Lord, and we're also saying to ourselves, what I have actually belongs to you, and this act of giving helps me to remember that. Okay, that's number one. But some of you are going to say, I don't have much to give. Some of you might say that. Some of you might say in your hearts, I, I, I don't matter. You, you look at your, you, you're going to do this, and I, I pray that you do. You're going to do this. You're going to look at your budget. You're going to look at your income, and you're going to say, I just don't matter. I, I don't have, my dollar isn't going to make a difference. My, my couple of bucks, my pennies in the, in the offering plate, they don't matter. And some of you are going to say, hey, I hear that we met the budget the last five years. Great, my offerings don't matter. Some of you are going to hear, and, and this is in the voters' report today, I don't know the exact number because I don't have it in front of me, but it's like $25,000 has already been given for the Rally the Family campaign. Some of you say, great, we're well on our way. I don't matter. First of all, you do. You, you matter to the Lord so much that he gave his son for you. And because you matter to him, what you do in response to his gifts to you does matter. Here's some, here is some homework. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. In, in, that, in those two little chapters, Paul is writing to the Corinthians about an offering that he wanted them to gather, a special offering for the people in Jerusalem and he teaches a couple of things. I want to highlight two of them. It's two Ps. First, he wanted their giving to be planned. He told them, on the first day of every week, he, he wanted them to think about carefully how they were going to give to him. And he, and he wanted them to do it first. So we talk about first fruits giving. So plan and do it first. So maybe if you're thinking about your budget, you have your income at the top, and then if we do that, if we plan it and we do it first, we, we put it right, offerings are right at the top, not at the bottom, because we, give, to God, we got, give God the first, not the leftovers. Right? So we plan it, and then we're, we're proportionate. Right? In, in the church, we, we often talk about the tithe, and we're not going to get into that. This ten, tithe means 10%. The, the Bible sets that forward as a little bit of a, a goal, maybe even a beginning place. Wherever you are, um, you, can, you can just walk through this in your own life. But that's why on the worksheet you have income and then you have a percentage. 
so that you can think about, I'm giving in proportion to what God's given me. Remember the widow and her mite? She didn't give much, right? Just a couple of pennies in the, in the, in the offering plate. But proportionally, massive amount. And the Lord was pleased with it. And so, so if, if this thought is in your mind that, that I don't matter, if, if this thought is in your mind that what I can give to the Lord isn't, isn't very much and it's kind of measly in comparison to all the other people who can maybe give a little bit more than me, do some planning and be proportionate. And then as you give, let it serve this purpose that when you give and when each one of us gives a penny or whatever it happens to be, it helps us to celebrate Jesus and we. Right? We are a, a body of believers. Nehemiah 3 and 4, it's all about the people working shoulder to shoulder, all of them doing a little bit to make it happen. Right? And so all of us putting our, our, our planned proportion of gifts into the offering plate toward, toward what, God, what we want to do uh, with God here, it makes a difference. Right? We do this work. It's not you guys or those guys, it's us guys and gals, right? Okay, so it teaches us this belongs to God. It helps us to celebrate us. But but then you're going to say, shouldn't this be easy? I won't make you raise your hands, but in your hearts, think about this. How many of you think that giving offerings should be easy? Fun. Like you should, you should, and, and the Bible actually doesn't. The Bible say so. God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you think in your hearts that you should put your offering in the plate and say yippee? <laughs> I want that, right? I, I want to write my offering check. I want to put the cash in the offering plate. I want to give my online donation, whatever, however you choose to give to the Lord. I want it to be joyful. I want it to be easy. I want it to be fun. But so often it's not. Because have you ever had this thought? You know what I could do with that? You, you know what I could do if I didn't give it to the Lord? Right? That's kind of why it ends up at the bottom. Because we do all the other stuff we want to do and then we do our stuff at the bottom. We give it to God at the bottom. Right? You know what I could do if I didn't give that to the Lord first? Or, or Because the money, again, to go back to that we think it's ours, right? Because we want to we wanna either be miserly with it and kind of keep it safe so in case something goes wrong, or we want to spend it on what we want to spend it on. Shouldn't this be easy? Well, I want it to be. I want to be a joyful giver. But isn't it the reality of our, of our lives and our, just our Christian walk? that we have a nasty nature and a terrible tendency to do, do everything sinfully. Like even our best offerings, it, even with the best heart, there's, oh, I won't do it. Oh, sorry, I won't get distracted. On our best days, isn't there a part of us that wants to hold on to it? it is, on our best days, isn't there a part of us that's saying, wow, look how good I am. On our best days, isn't there a part of us that does this all wrong? That, that in some way, whether it's wanting to keep it or taking sinful pride in it, there, there's this nature in us to, to make it nasty and sinful. And that's why it will never be easy. 
That's why it will, always, it will almost always be hard. It will always be, in, in, a, in a certain kind of way, painful. Because if we're, if we're thinking about this, the way that God teaches us to think about it, what, <coughs> excuse me, what's actually happening is we're crucifying the nature. I said it this way because I want it to be a little softer with it. It helps us to get the order right. I am third. In other words, when we give, we're, we're saying, okay, seek first the kingdom of God. And then do you realize how much of your budget is actually not about you at all? It's about other people. Like, so I, at least in my, in my brain budget, right, you have your, your, your income, you have your offering, and then you have your mortgage. If I didn't have a family, I could sleep in my office. But I have a family, and they need a place to sleep, right? So my, my income goes to take care of my family, right? And, and, and part, of my in, part of my expenses are clothes and food. I have to take care of my family, right? Because they need to eat sometimes, and they need to wear clothes most of the time. And you get what I'm saying, right? Our offerings are, are for other people. And, and if anything goes at the bottom, I am third. If anything goes at the bottom, it's, it's me and what I want. My needs, are, my needs and my wants are last. Everybody else comes. God is first. Others are second. And this is hard because it forces me to die. That was the hard way of saying it. Jesus said it this way, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And so this act of giving forces me to do that, to say, God, you're first, other people are second, and I'm third. That's three. The final one is this, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid. What if I give it and I don't have enough at the end? What if I give and the stock market crashes and all of a sudden my retirement's gone? What if I give and my car, the, the engine just falls out the bottom of it? What if I give and then I have nothing? I wonder to myself how much of the people of Israel, how much of Nehemiah's people, was they were doing it because they were afraid. I wonder how much Nehemiah shook a little bit when he, like every, every day he's like, six more oxen, one oxen and six sheep for all of you. And then he brought out the wine. I wonder if he looked in his cellar and said, huh, wonder if I'll have enough for the next year. Right? How much of it is fear? Do you realize how much God wants to teach us to trust him? See, when we give, it teaches us to trust. Do you realize in the scriptures how deeply and dearly God wants us to trust him? The Sabbath day, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that the whole idea of the Sabbath day was a practice to teach the people to trust him. Don't work. Trust me to take care of you. Give your tithe. By the way, a tithe of everything. Give a tithe. Give your 10%, which ended up being more like 30%. Give a tithe and trust that I'm going to give to you. Give first fruits, trusting that the second and third and fourth fruits are going to come in. All of it was trust. Dear people of God, you have a God that you can absolutely trust. And so when we give, we can simply say to the Lord, I'm going to throw this verse up there. Paul to the Corinthians, this is why you have to read it. 
God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. You can, you can give your offerings and say, Lord, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know if I'm going to have enough, but I trust you. I trust you to take care of me. As we plan, as we proportion, as we do this first, we trust God that he's going to bring in the second, third, and fourth fruits. You absolutely have a God who can, you can trust. If, if, he's, he's the, if, if God clothes the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, he will also care for you. Since God gave his own son for you, he will also give you everything else that you need. I'm going to wrap this up. Bring, bring it in for a landing. I have tried really hard today to avoid using the word should. I actually did a word search in my manuscript, should. There, is a there are times and places for the word, sh word should, but I tried to avoid using it because the word should is a guilt word. It, it lays this like responsibility and obligation on us. Should is also a shame word. Um, it's, it's a word that makes you feel like I'm insufficient and not enough because I haven't met the standard. I, I've tried really, I'm going to be ridiculous for a second, I've tried really hard not to should on you. I don't want to lay a burden on you because the reality is before God, everything has been done. There is no obligation before God. There's nothing you owe him. There's no payment you need to make. This, what we do before the Lord, is not an offering, and you don't get kudos with God for it. It's like you gave an offering, way to go. Here, it's, God is not a vending machine, okay? Right? God, Jesus has met the, the, the standard. Paul said to the Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You have no obligation or should before God. What you have in offerings is a gift. Can, I re can we reframe our offerings in that way? That the, the, the privilege of giving offerings is a gift from God? It's a gift that helps us to center our lives on the God who's given us so much stuff. It, it, it's a gift that reminds us that we, all that we have is His alone. It's a gift that reminds us that we're part of something that's bigger than me. It's Jesus and we. It's a gift that helps me kill myself in, in a spiritual way. That helps me die to myself and, and live for him. It's a, it's a gift that leads me to, to put my trust, to put my trust not in riches or planning, but in him and his goodness. It's a gift that orients our life around the God who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God, this is my prayer, that God would help us to enjoy and appreciate the gift that he gives us when he lets us participate in the act of giving. God help us. Amen? Amen. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you.
Amen.